Welcome to Inspired Artist Podcast with me, Porter Singer, aka Sirgan Carr. Today I'm speaking with Vibhuti Arya, Dr. Arya. She is an associate clinical professor at St. John's University College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences and serves as a clinical advisor to the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. And she just gave a wonderful TEDx talk at Rutgers called Dark Room Methodology, Bringing Light to Structural Racism. And through watching this, I realized that this was the kind of work she did because I met her through Kundalini Yoga. And I actually had no idea that this was what she did in her real life. We met through a mutual friend, Sat Darshan, and she is, fun fact, one of the background vocalists on our track Heart Mantras on The Music Within. Um, I also did not realize that she has a theater background, and so when she talks about this sort of stuff, she brings a lot of humor, and she's able to give a lot of relatable context for the things that she's talking about. So I think you're really gonna like this. For me, this brought up a lot of questions and some great conversations. Vibhuti is humorous and informative. So here we go. I I think I had always felt this very bizarre, like um, was very turned off by this whole like Yogi Bhajan's this whatever and any guru-fying or idolizing of any of these teachers, right? And um, with, you know, largely white following and like people who adopt the culture. And it's been really interesting because in the beginning I was so resistant. Um, and now I know why. But I think part of it was like hearing things that people had adopted to be these like magical truths uh-huh. that I was like, that's just our culture. Like there's nothing magical about turmeric Right. Like, <laughs> I always like joke about how we need to like claim back our cuisine. Right. It's like there's, you know, there's like, I'm like, damn it. They took yoga from us. They took turmeric. They took, you know, whatever golden milk. There's like chai. There's, you know, all these things. And I'm like, we should claim that back. Right. So now I'm like dates. That's what we have left dates. Right. Like, <laughs> um, so I just feel like there's this really interesting, like, uh, I don't know this push and pull of. Sorry, I'm laughing. It's funny, but no, not no, funny, it's but... <laughs> no, but 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 it is right yeah. because you're just. I just remember being there and was just the told. It's it's kind. It is kind of comical, actually. It's like this, um, like Broadway production, right? I'm into theater, so this is how I always think about in my life is like one big theater. It's like this thing of like these people are just like, you know, and and this the golden. Um, magic, the golden light of turmeric. And I'm like, it's just freaking turmeric, right? <laughs> or like, there are these things that would be said about the culture and, and yoga and why Yogi Bhajan said this and that. And I'm like, nah, we just took cold showers because we didn't have hot water. <laughs> <laughs> like, cryotherapy, I get it. Like, you know, intense, yeah. cold work at fine. But I'm like, the, you know, taking showers, I think there's something to be said about the 60s when nobody was taking showers. And so every, all of these movements told people to take showers, right? Because they realized nobody was taking any. So th- there, there are a lot of these elements that I feel like are um, just kind of taken for granted. So I was having this conversation with a, a friend of mine who um, we were talking about this this construct, right? So she, so I've been doing, you know, I, I've been doing the self equity work for before it was cool, um, before it was like sexy to do so. And I remember, so I was asked to be a keynote at this conference that's a smaller conference. And then you kind of, you're like in these like a uh, kind of hermitage grounds, campgrounds, four hours north of Minnesota, uh, I mean, Minneapolis. And it was beautiful. And one of the people um, reached out to me at the end and she said, you know, as a woman of color attending a yoga class with this this white teacher, something felt uncomfortable the way that the deities and stuff were being discussed and like she passed it around for people to like touch it and like, you know, so th- there was just something off and we kind of got into this conversation about the lack of acknowledgement, right, of these uh, cultures and these um, uh, deep sort of ancestry roots that have been largely erased from the language um, and adopted by a larger white culture that, you know, and, and look like searching for truth, searching for the path and searching for 
some meaning and purpose to elevate yourself as a human being and into this like spiritual realm, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, right? And, and we should try to do that as humanity. Um, but there is something to be said about just acknowledgement of where these things come from and the deep pain and hurt that kind of go along with it, right? So there's, I mean, tons of, you know, immigrants or people of color, or, you know, Black Americans who are like, you made me feel bad for being who I am, right? I was shamed to have darker skin color or shamed to my food smells like this or whatever. And now it's like, you know, now I, I do roll my eyes when it's, and now like it's fancy cookbooks of like, yeah. let me teach you how to make kitchen. I'm like, man, get the hell out of here. Right. Like I got this. Right. Or like just, just the, the, I don't know if it's like, this is not a word, but like magic of it. Right. It's like somehow this is magical to a people mm-hmm. where you're like, no, like wearing, you know, African batiks is not like exotic and cool. It's like, you know, please understand the history and, and like acknowledge the deep pain of people who did wear that as their normal garb. And then you pointed them out and made fun of them. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's all these things that I think it, and you know, this pandemic has sort of given us this pause, this time to pause and reflect. And, um, you know, I, I'm very keen. I moved from the anger and despair to the hopeful space. And I'm keen on making sure that we keep this momentum sustained so that it's not just a blip in our history again and that we actually like reform, right? Like, cool, protests, signs, this, I think it's just a movement that I wanna make sure results in some reform and we need to like act on it. So there's, there's an interesting, I likened it to this phenomenon of like, okay, so imagine like, I have a friend who's this Asian woman, she's gay, she worked in like Wall Street and basically was like blacklisted because she was doing so great and it's a good old white boys club, right? And I was kind of saying like, imagine something, you know, um, like very white American that, you know, and again, this is like everything that we're talking about in the structural, this is very apparent that there's a piece that like they kind of own, so to speak, or theirs, right? And all of us would just kind of come in and be like, first of all, you should be ashamed of yourself for doing this. You're weird. And then kind of adopt it and then become masters of it (laughs) and then teach it back to them and make money off of it, Yeah. right? I'm like, we wouldn't even be allowed in the circle of it, right? Which is what's happening structurally, like, largely communities of color, immigrants, marginalized groups are not allowed, right? And I was like, that's what's yo- what yoga has become, right? And it's interesting. And I, again, I think we should all be elevating ourselves and certainly learning and practicing these tools that help us become that way. But just taking a moment to also acknowledge the journey that that has taken and the privilege that comes with it, right? Mm-hmm. And And I feel like that's the difference that I feel now is that people are willing to acknowledge things and just name them and call them. You know, that that's like my work is all about facilitating these very tense conversations. Um, But, you know, and I, I've, I don't know. It just, I've been um, talking to a lot of people and kind of holding this space and, you know, it's exhausting too, right. To keep, being the people who are called to like, let's explain like, no, you know, you do your work too. Right. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, okay, let's just, let's just take this and just go with it. Right. If this is what I do, this is what I'm called to do. Fine. Um, But it is an interesting evolution of how all of this has come to be. So I was texting with a dear friend who um, I said, you know, I've been told to shut up, tone it down, make it more palatable or focus on something else. And of course, gaslighted, right? Like for the work that I do. Like this time around or just throughout your whole Just in career. general, yeah, in general, right? Because I've been doing this since a long time. And, but I'm glad I didn't listen. And I'm glad that I listened and said to my other people who told me to be who I am. And that's bold, smart, eloquent, and effing spicy, right? And that's, and I feel like that should be the introduction of the book <laughs> that I write. But it's a really interesting evolution because there's, there's criticism associated with this work that's making people too uncomfortable or like, you can't say that. Like when I did my TEDx talk, my dad was in the audience and he was like, I was a little afraid for you because there was a whole bunch of white people in the audience. And 
are you sure? You know, he was worried, right, about retaliation and about, like, somehow me being in trouble because he's seen some of those conversations come up. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm like, look, I am in a position of privilege right now, in a position of influence, and it is what it is. And, like, I am not, I'm going to use the privilege to continue this conversation very boldly, like I've been doing. But now that I've been doing this work and now it's being more amplified, so to speak, this is not the time to stop, right? Mm -hmm. But again, kind of like goes back to show the concern that a lot of people have internalized too with like internalized racism, internalized inferiority, um, and kind of like adopting the structures as though there's some kind of truth. And I'm hopeful because I think that what's happening is that um, and particularly young folks now are like deconstructing everything to say, why does gender have to be binary? Why does this concept have to be the way it is? Why, well, why is it that even though, you know, a certain group of people are not represented in the profession, that the, even the leadership less so, right? So why is it that all these things are happening? And I think that that's, there's the beauty of that with the convergence of social media and you know, the fact that I don't have to be of privilege and take a flight around the world to reach somebody, right? Like there's some beauty in that dialogue and it comes with its ups and downs, but um, so I, I don't know, I'm encouraged. I'm hopeful that this conversation may actually stick this time. Yeah. Did you receive any backlash for that TEDx talk? That, that wouldn't have even occurred to me. Uh I, I think in more implicit ways sometimes. So, uh, for example, where before I may have gotten comments straight up, right, saying, hey, I think that, that like people are not ready for that yet, or, you know, you sound like the angry person of color sometimes, or you want to make sure you don't offend the men or don't offend white people, you know, all that kind of stuff very explicitly because people thought it was okay. Um, there's more implicit ways now. So uh, to not celebrate it, to not highlight it among accomplishments of others, right? So in a group of faculty, for example, when you highlight, hey, you know, so-and-so just did talk about diabetes, like this gets omitted, right? So it's those uh, kinds of ways um, where I feel that it, it is celebrated certainly in other, and I'm like super humbled and grateful that people are listening to it and like playing it, they're using it for their classes now in remote learning um, to get that conversation started. But there are ways in which I've noticed that some silence has been interesting to observe. What sort of discomfort are we talking about here? Because I've heard people say like, I know this makes you uncomfortable or I know like, you're just gonna have to get over how uncomfortable this makes you. I don't, I don't really relate to that. Um, can you explain to me what, what that looks like? Like when you encounter somebody who's uncomfortable? Yeah, I think that um, one is people are hesitant to talk because they don't wanna say the wrong thing or they feel like anything they could say could offend somebody and they're not comfortable with what that feels like, right? So I think you have to be comfortable with making mistakes a little bit and you'll say things like, I'm in the activism um, realm with some of this stuff, even though I'm a pharmacist, I'm also in the health equity world, I'm also in the like clinical world and there's different vocabulary that people are progressive upon, right? Like there are different levels of where people are at with this conversation. And so there are terms that people use that some people like, some people don't like, some people are like, oh, that's not this. And that's fine. I flow with it, right? Because I know in some circles, this is what we prefer. In other circles, this is what we, right? But the conversation as it moves and progresses, um, it's fluid. So, and that's how it should be, is that we learn from each other and we kind of evolve with it. So I think there's some discomfort around um, making a mistake and like not doing it right. Um, I think there's also discomfort around just kind of being white in this day and age and not knowing what to say um, and not helping, but feeling kind of, you know, like defensive that I'm not a racist person, um, being Asian or brown even in certain uh, circles when you realize that maybe your families or your neighborhoods have aligned with sort of this idea of whiteness um, traditionally. And, and 
I think there's, you know, people who are like going through things in that continuum of the discomfort where they're feeling, wait, can I talk about this? But as a white person, I'm not black. So can I say this? Or as a brown person, can I say this? So I think there's a lot of, um, uh, and perhaps beneath that is, is like an acknowledgement that is it my turn? It's not my turn. Should I not take a turn at all? But recognizing that we're all in this. And so we do need, you know, like sort of allies in every sort of shape, color, and form. Um, and I think that as a people, there's not a lot of resilience in communities where they've never had to worry about this, right? And that's uncomfortable. And so um, it's kind of like that, you know, giving every kid a trophy thing, right? So if your kid has never experienced um, not winning at something, they're going to be really a sore loser perhaps later, uh, right? So it's like that. So white privilege in a lot of ways is like earning something that, or not having something that you haven't really earned. And so I think people, it does make people uncomfortable around, you know, like communities of color and marginalized communities. They've been through a lot and they, they're like, I don't have time to cry. Like, we've got to go, right? We got to survive. We got to get through this. There are resilient people, so to speak. And of course, this is totally like individuals may differ. Um, but I think the resilience as a people, this is the first time that it's like kind of being called out. And so I think that makes people uncomfortable. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about the first time that I encountered the idea that like the, the so that there's, there's a certain amount of sort of political correctness. I think that the language I don't, do you, do you think the political correctness has made this like more complicated or has helped us with, with this? Um, yeah, I think it's definitely a little, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's that, um, in, in certain ways, I think we're moving away from like, when I talk to my students about clinical topics, I say, don't give me the $10 words, right? Don't use these concepts and work. Give me, if you were to explain this to a 10 year old, what would you say? Right. And so I think there's a, um, there's an understanding and an acknowledgement that you can use all the buzzwords and you can use all the correct words, but you don't really mean it, right? Or you don't really feel it. Let's, let's not talk about this as a concept. Let's be real about this. So I think that there is a certain, like, stop trying to step on eggshells or, again, using the right words or being politically correct. I think that the, the, one of the issues also is that as we've moved from, you know, historically just having very explicitly sort of racist policies and laws and right back, there was a time when people were like, Irish need not apply or like, you know, it was very apparent that there's a superior race or superior people. And it's moved into a more implicit way of doing that. Um, what we call sort of like race neutral policies, right, that still impact people disproportionately. Um, so I think that there, there are a lot of like hidden forces that people don't want to bring out because they don't know how to deal with them. So I don't know, for whatever it's worth, I think, um, I, I think that, but still there's a thirst to kind of like just keep it real and call it what it is. And also like recognize that one person doesn't speak for their entire group, right? Or whatever that group is, right? So one person's lived experience is not everybody's lived experience. Right. And so that's really important to take into consideration. Right. No, I was going to share a, a brief story about um, being an ally for what used to be called at my college, the LGBT um, community. And they decided at some point during my freshman or sophomore year to change their name to the Queer Alliance. And so I was asking my friends, I was like, so, you know, um, should I be calling people queer now? You know, and, and she, and she was like, actually, I hate that term. <laughs> and, um, and I, so I, that was sort of my first, my first, like, oh yeah, groups can call themselves things and individual members don't necessarily vibe with it. Um, so, I mean, that's, so I think that yeah. for, for me, like coming from somebody, you know, talking about someone that is not um, uh, what me, like describing myself, um, that would be sort of like a feeling of eggshells to walk. Yeah. Like, okay. Like what? So I noticed, and that's part of the discomfort, 
Yeah. So I noticed like in the tra- in the, the trans community, or I, I mean, I assume it came out of that because people use it who are not trans, but um, we went to a museum the other, well, when museums were open and they were <laughs> wearing a name tag and I noticed they had their name and then they had their pronouns. The pronouns. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's, that really, that is really helpful. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cause that's yeah, we use really that. Explicit. Yeah. And then people, I often get emails back right? It's like, wait, what does that mean? Can you explain it? Which I appreciate because uh-huh. I think that, you know, it, it like, so I have it in my signature, many, like most of my colleagues, we have it. I think there are other disciplines where it's starting to become more, you know, and some people roll their eyes. They're like, oh gosh, please. Right. Like how much more. Right. Um, and you know, and like I work in a, in a, in a place where we have people who don't identify just as male or female. And so it is helpful for us as well because, um, you know, and certainly when I'm, you know, talking in front of the commissioner of the health department about a colleague, you know, you don't want to get that wrong either, but you also, I think it started out maybe as a way of standing in solidarity, but also as just a very practical way of understanding because we do have colleagues who identify as other than male or female. And I think that it's really important and, you know, just the same way I don't want somebody to like get my name wrong or, um, you know, mispronounce or whatever, it's helpful to, it, I think it's just an inviting way of saying, like, how do you identify it's all cool and just let me get it right um, from the get-go. And I think there's humility involved in that, which I think is going to be key to this entire movement is understanding what we don't know, being okay to make mistakes and, you know, saying I'm sorry and being held accountable for the impact that you have, right? So a very central principle to the work that I do and, and how I teach my students is intention versus impact, right? So you can you mean well but the impact is something happened and you need to own up to that impact, right? You need to be accountable and, and feel that. And I think sometimes emails and texts can kind of help you hide behind it. Um, you know, back in probably our day of going to school, if you were late, you have to go to your teacher and say, I apologize for being late. There's like an, a certain amount of shame or accountability or something involved in doing that and an emboldenment too. Um, you know, now you can be like, hey, prof, you know, like, and I'm like, that's not how you do this, right? Like, so there's, there's an acculturation of sorts to this age, perhaps, but um, I digress, but event essentially saying that, like, there is something to be said about understanding that this world is a lot more layered than just the dichotomy of, you know, two options, or it's, you know, and, and we have to thread all of this through and figure out, how we can be respectful and not, um, you know, at the same time, I think the counter argument sometimes is that I've heard people say, well, be, you know, you're just, you know, you're making people too sensitive or whatever, right? And, um, and I can understand where they may be coming from because in that narrative, um, it's the narrative of like hardship makes you stronger, which it does. Um, but, you know, like I said in my talk, it's, we, we keep focusing on beating the odds, but like, can we also focus on changing the odds so that the same people and anytime you're different, you don't have to constantly overcome and play this game around beating the odds that you could be using that energy for actually some productive stuff. So in, do you have a vision for what that looks like? Like maybe just in one small way or in a large way? I, you know, I, I don't know. I'd be curious to see. I, I think I have a hope that maybe the education system starting early on is where we help reform that because I think that there's large disparities and even just the system. I know New York City is basically the most segregated school system in the country. Um, I, I think the way that it looks like for me, because I've experienced a lot of it, is just a community who's willing to talk and share. Um, you know, and I, I think that because this work can get very lonely, um, there's, you know, you have your kind of like core group that you, it's like therapy, right? Like you kind of like debrief with them and be like, yeah, like somebody said this to me and I felt a lot of anger, but then I changed it into this. And then I feel like, that person, you know, something got through, right? There, there are these ways that you can celebrate the evolution of our own journeys in doing this work and holding the space for others. So I think that because I've experienced the power of what that can be and that feels good to be validated and to feel like 
um, like I said, like, I'm glad I didn't listen to the people and, and some of it got to me, right? Some of it's like, well, maybe I should have picked like quality measures or something different that I could have safe zone, right? But I've been talking about this issue for a long time and it's, you know, the effort that I put into this versus if I did something else, I'd probably like begin awards right about other things, but, um, but it's important, it's passionate, this is what I'm called to do. So I have experienced what that looks like in that community. I just, I guess my vision would be that that would be on a larger scale, that we don't, that we can, and I use humor, you know, I have improv and theater back, like I use that in my teaching because I understand that, um, you know, humor has been my coping mechanism through a lot of it, but I also understand that that's a way to like get people to feel at ease and connected and, and a sense of sharing that they can have. Um, and I think it's important. I think it's important to not always say the right things or I'd rather somebody not focus their energy on how do I say this and do that whole internal dialogue than just say things that make them uncomfortable and say, why am I feeling like this? Right? Because then you can really have some good dialogue. And I guess that's my vision is that everybody feels comfortable to say, I feel differently about this issue. So like even in facilitating that conversation, um, you know, for example, in like a meeting, right, where there's power dynamics. I'm, I'm a professor, I have students, and no matter how comfortable my students feel, and I, this is what I talk about with my students, um, you know, and I take them to a coffee shop where it's not like my office or the work that where they feel that power dynamic, um, you know, and when we're discussing, even in the classroom, I say, okay, what perspective can you think of that we haven't brought up versus who agrees and disagrees? Because if you're like two people who disagree, that's again, like another dynamic, right? That you're like, so on one hand, yes, you could embolden people to say they disagree, blah, blah, blah. But then on the other hand, it's also not the most welcoming space. Um, and we have a lot of introverted students or, and we talk about issues that are very uncomfortable again. Um, that not everybody may have a deeper understanding of. So saying something like, okay, you know, here are the perspectives we have. Does that, can anybody share a perspective we may not have thought about, right? It's a little less um, aggressive maybe or singling them out and how they may be feeling. So I think there are tools and ways in which you can do it, but that would be, wow, that's a long-winded way of explaining what that vision is. Um, where we can well, all sure kind of have a, a lot more words necessary <laughs> anyway. Excuse me. Clearing my throat, trying to mute. Um, yeah. I was, the thought struck me as you were talking about this. I'd be curious about your, your uh, opinion um, that I think that we are afraid of hurting people's feelings a lot of the time because we have this sense, like, I don't know, this, Go spanning back, gen, you know, generations back of like, if we upset the group, we're going to be kicked out, and we'll our safety will be, you know, an issue. Um, and it, in a sense, it's sort of a like we. It looks like we have moved forward because now, as a community, and we're all looking different. You know, I might be uncomfortable to say something to you or to to someone whose skin is darker than mine. Um, because I am afraid of losing that community. True. So, yeah, and I think it's a good, that's I a fantastic- value how you feel, you know? Sure, yeah, and, and, and we all do, don't get me yeah. wrong, right? Yeah. Like as bold as I can be about this topic, um, and there's some opinions I value over others, right? But, <laughs> sure. um, but I think there is, right, we're going back to just being human, we're tribal, right? We, there is a sense of shared collective, um, and there is a sense of validation that we're like, basically constantly seeking, right? That's why like, as you get older, you don't care about that stuff because you're like, whatever, right? Um, but when you're like 22, you care, right? You're like, oh, what does she say? What does she think of what I just said? So, and I think that's fine. I think that's human. That's a universal kind of um, trait or nature, but uh, exactly what you're saying and what's happening, I think is going back to redefining what that means to be part of that community, right? So um that security and i would venture to say perhaps is like a false sense of validation or security because in actuality the most honest conversations that you do have and when you do expose your vulnerability is when you actually become closer together right like for example 
having a partner that you love and you know, you're single and whatever you're dating, there's like that, you know, the, the honeymoon phase and whatever you get married, right. If you want to believe, want to go down that path, um, you know, birthing a child, right. There's nothing, it's beautiful, but physically it may not look as beautiful. It looks like a crime scene, right? Like, but there's something beautiful about being so vulnerable and sharing that with people um or with people or a person or whatever that it does kind of bring you closer together and so i think that there's something to be explored in how we've traditionally thought about being part of a community or having that space together and i think this is challenging a lot of that this is challenging the very essence of these like conversations or like things that we've had that we just kind of hang out or spend a weekend, but you never really get into it or you don't expose your vulnerability. And I think vulnerability is key. Um, and I think that's, that's what we're experiencing is that, um, you know, one of my former students who just graduated was talking about dating and how, you know, <clears throat> the issue of equity and like, you know, obviously right now people can't like go physically on a date somewhere and, um, they're talking and she kind of got into this conversation where um, the person she's interested in or is interested in her are also talking about similar like equity issues. And they're like, yeah, time for a video call in like three hours. Right. And so it kind of like speeds the process up maybe somehow. And I'm not saying, I don't know if it'll work out or not, but the point is that I think that what we're feeling in our gut right now and what we're feeling very, empowered by this response, this global response to this issue does have a sense of validation and the vulnerability that people are feeling is being exposed so that it's okay to feel that way. And I think that's the true sense of bringing people together. Um, whereas this like picture perfect uni unicorn and rainbows type of sense of community and security is I would venture to say maybe not the most authentic or, or honest, right? So I think it is different because it challenges our very notion of what it feels secure to be in a community. Um, whereas I would think like in my community and where I felt most comfortable is like where I can disagree with things and say, but what about this? But what about this? And where that's encouraged and not only just encouraged passively, but actively sought out. And there, that's my vision. That's That's what I would love to see is that our kids grow up where they are actively seeking the perspective of the first, of the other, of the different, of whatever they're talking about. I love that. Oh, I love that. I was just writing it down. That's why it took me to <laughs> unmute myself. Um, that that is really cool. Yeah. I call um, that the FOD. You know, like the song, hey G O D, yeah, you know me. F O D. Yeah, you know me. It's an old rap song, or oh, oh, FOD, yeah, the yeah. first other, the different. First other, the okay. No, I wasn't sure what the what the yeah. Was. Sorry. Okay. That's what I tell my students. First I'm like, other, play that in your head. Different. And the is different. That, is that like an academic term? Um, I've seen it used in different spaces. So I, I, I mean, I use it in academia, but um, it's just been something that people have brought up, and I think part of it is like, um, again, challenging the notion of this like equality versus equity, right? It's not just enough to like having one woman among so many men. It's do we empower that woman to feel comfortable to have mentorship, support, resources to actually set her up for success. And so again, kind of going a bit further, right? To not just passively say, we're not going to repress you, but actively say, can we get some more perspective because we're lacking that. And I think that's the that's the tangible sort of action piece we're hopefully moving towards. Awesome. And what does the first mean in that context? Um, you know, like the first woman to do this, the first oh, like the X, Y, Z. Yeah. The pioneer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, or the, okay. the first time I've heard this thing or the first, um, you know, person of color to make this whatever. And you know, the first black president, right? Like all of those kinds of things, like we want to make sure. And, and truth be told, it's also, again, exhausting to hold that space because that woman or that person doesn't represent the totality of that group, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the, I think that, so to what you're saying, right, in that community aspect, I think, again, that this is like challenging that notion because you're, it, it's, 
I don't know. It's, it's like, uh, this almost feels like a separate but equal type of scenario, right? Where it's like, there are these groups, but why have we just felt like we can group people, right? That in our brain, sure, that somehow when we learn, like, you know, our neurons t tend to do that, right? Like if I give you a word with a couple of letters missing, you'll probably fill it in. And so there is a sense of like, I know how to fill this story in. Um, and this is where implicit biases come in because we've been all conditioned based on our lived experiences to have those kinds of things we fill in with. Um, but challenging what that means because it could have harmful consequences, the way we look at the people in the world and, and how we interact with them. Yeah, and I love that you brought up the authenticity because obviously not trying to hurt somebody's feelings is not the same thing as having an honest conversation with them ever. Right, and also <laughs> ego-driven, right? Because that's about me. Mm -hmm. Me not wanting to hurt right. your feelings is about me feeling okay, yeah. right? Versus like truly serving. There's a beautiful piece. There's a, a physician, uh, Rachel Naomi Remen, who's written like Kitchen Table Wisdom and um, my grandfather's blessings, really good um, books. And one of the pieces she writes is this notion of helping versus fixing versus serving, that helping sort of assumes that somebody's weak, fixing assumes somebody's broken, and serving is just serving, right? It's, it's, so helping and fixing may be the work of the ego, whereas serving is truly the work of the spirit. And so, again, like that intention versus impact thing, right, when we say like, hey, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to come off as whatever. That's my own insecurity. Uh, you know, I didn't mean to do this. That's, that's exonerating myself of the impact that whatever I did may have had on people. And I think that's where that, that's the pivot that we need to consciously make is that it's not about you. It's not about me and me feeling, you know, in the same vein, like me feeling like, Oh, I'm doing something cool in this, you know, movement or whatever. It's, it's, meeting yourself where you are, but really recognizing your own insecurities and your feelings for, you know, wanting to do certain things or not, um, and having certain conversations. Can, I want to come back to what you were talking about, about the, the groups, what, what came to mind, I was just thinking about circles, um, but what, what came to mind was that that might also have to do with comfort, right? I mean, that we, surround ourselves with people who are like us because then we can avoid these conversations <laughs> because we've, you know, we've set ourselves up to be. For sure. And I, I, I assume, I mean, I guess we're kind of assuming that everybody is kind of on the same page about certain things, which obviously isn't this true. Totally. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if that brings up anything. And, and there is, there is like a, there's actually research done in this where it's almost like anthropological where, you know, we are tribal, right? Humans are trying, I mean, think of like how civilization began, how we travel in packs. And um, so I, I do think that there is something there about, you know, and, and they've studied this in like kids and how early um, people can kind of form these in their brains of, you know, affinity and um, where they feel most comfortable. So I, I do think that there is some human nature that wants to be, tribal and belong. Um, you know, as a pr I was just talking to a friend of mine this morning. She's um, from Palestinian, grew up in Kuwait, lived in Jakarta, grew up in, like, sort of grew up in Australia, immigrated to Australia, now is back in Bahrain. And we were talking about how comfortable the both of us as first-generation immigrants in places where we've kind of faced our own little things have just become comfortable with not belonging. Um, but that part of us did seek that belonging. Like, where do we belong, right? And like, well, I'm not kind of this, I'm not kind of this either. Um, and so I think that, again, where I understand that humans have been tribal and we've had this sense of wanting to belong, we've also evolved as a species, right? And so, Sometimes I get this like sense of impatience where I'm like, I know, I know, I know this stuff is there, but we also can understand what, you know, LGBTQ means in this day and age. We can also understand same-sex marriage is okay, right? Like we've evolved. And so can we please evolve our conversation, right? And that's, um, I'm getting goosebumps, but like that's the part that I'm like, let's be vulnerable. Let's understand that 
yes, it's okay for us to not feel or to feel a sense of like um, misplacement, right? Like, oh, this, this seems uncomfortable again, because this doesn't fit into this like one belonging or that I've drawn up in my narrative in my head. Um, but I don't know, like, I just feel like we have better skills now. We, we have evolved. And so we should be able to uh, embrace that vulnerability and embrace that comfort, that discomfort, excuse me. And I think part of it is it's a huge cultural shift, right? So she was saying that, you know, in Australia, where you have universal health care, you've got education, right? Like, there's certain constructs in society that you just kind of have. Whereas her, you know, cousins who are growing up in the US, um, like you go to certain countries that just have government safety nets where you're a qualified immigrant or whatever, you come in and you can work and you can do all those things. Where in the US, there's so many hoops to even jump through to be able to legally work, um, then, you know, be off the books and then constantly worry about things. So there, there's a lot more involved. And I think that, um, you know, what is the role of government in these conversations, right? Certainly right now, it's not helping, right? And you can see how that's flared up. But again, perhaps a silver lining is that, you know, people are like, dude, enough is enough. This is not okay. This is not constructive. And what we need to think about is like, yes, we've all survived our things and, you know, hopefully have evolved in our thinking, but like, what are we leaving for our kids? Right. And it's, it's not okay to just say, oh, the next generation will do it. Right. That's, that's an unfair burden, A, for them to have. And B, it, nothing's going to change unless we teach them. Right. Unless we have conversations about this, how can they change the narrative? Because we're just going to keep teaching them the same narrative. You know, they might have more cognitive dissonance in that battle between understanding what's actually happening and what they've been taught when, when they disagree with each other. When those two things are not in agreement, what do they do? And if we don't give them the tools, the same way we talk about meditation, it's a practice, right? We give each other the tools to uplift each other. But if we don't have a good coping mechanism, our mental state is going to suffer, right? Same way, if we don't give them the tools and, and the platforms and the conversation deliberately to create time and space for that, how are we expecting anything to move forward? And I think those are the questions that we have to kind of figure out and you know i'm willing to embrace some discomfort or vulnerability around that it's and that's okay yeah it strikes me that um the conversation could very quickly be like flipped in terms of oh this is this huge discomfort we have to go through to like this is actually good for us because we're using our brain in a new way like that's that's positive sure we're we're having to rethink some things. We're having to shift belief systems. I mean, I think that that's really, personally, I think that's really positive. Um, that it doesn't have to be looked at as like this, oh, you know, this. But also exhausting. Yeah. And I can yeah. understand that. Yeah. I get it. Well, I guess it depends on who you are in that conversation. Sure. Yeah. And and still, and still, it's like, you know, you go to the gym, you're willing to take that pain, right? Sure. Yeah. To, to get some results. Now, the difference is, one may see the gym thing and the muscle pain as an individual gain and benefit that maybe you don't see in having this conversation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't know, like there's mental fitness, there's, you know, your heart being stretched in ways that, you know, I, I, I think actually reaches in a better way the core of your humanity and, and stretches you spiritually in that manner that is warranted. So, um, yeah, I, I, and I, I don't... I don't think it's easy for a lot of people. I don't. I don't think vulnerability is easy because I think that so many people have been conditioned to not be vulnerable, right? Like, I mean, look at the vocabulary around even raising children or being in school or how we process emotions, right? The first instinct, and I've noticed this, right? Like, if you start crying when you're having a a, a touching moment, in a vulnerable conversation or moment with a friend or even at ease. Oh, I'm sorry. Like, why are we apologizing for feeling as human beings? Right. But that's, it's, it's the, you know, we use words like decorum or compose yourself, gather yourself. And, and I get that there's power in there, but that we also have to think about keeping that in balance because there is, there's power to being vulnerable. There's, 
great power and strength that comes from that and being able to be that way and still, you know, keep going. And I think that, but a lot of times, right, it's like, think about like the narratives about people like, again, don't cry, it makes you weak, right? Crying is somehow weak. If somebody gets anxious about something, it's weakness, right? Versus being like, hey, let's like face that head on. Why are we feeling anxious around this? And that's how you actually get through it, right? Um, and so I, I think that the, this, the, the narratives that have conditioned us for so long are being challenged. And, you know, it's like an earthquake. Things are going to shift, but it's, it's, not, it's not unicorns and rainbows when it shifts. There is some shaking. There is some um, tumultuous energy there. Um, you know, and those of us who are like, yeah, bring it on. It's great. Um, but it does. And, and, and still even the ones who are, yeah, bring it on. Like it still makes us a little like, you know, what are we looking at? Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It's going to be a lot and hopefully it keeps going. Yeah. What do you think that depends on? Um, I think it's going to depend on our ability to be very deliberate in keeping this from a structural and leadership conversation beyond the pandemic. Honestly, if people had to go to work hmm. and still go into offices where they're seeing those power structures and the dynamics that, you know, we would have taken a moment of silence and then gone to business as usual. And I think that's what's been happening. Hmm. These are one-off pieces of news and it's like, well, you know, there's, there's like an almost ugly acceptance of like, well, that's how things are. It's unfortunate. And I think that kind of walking back that narrative to reverse and say, no, I think it's not okay. Right. Like somebody was just um, talking to me about like uh, business as usual type of thing. And I was like, you know, we need to take pause. Like we, it's okay to like not do normal things. Like I'm not answering that email, <laughs> you know, like whatever. And and I said to, you know, my partner, I said, you know, there's, there's an interesting thing about like, this is a moment in history, right? You don't want to be that kid 20 years from now and be like, oh, I was just, the Berlin Wall came down. I was just doing my math homework. Like, no, this is historical, right? This is something we need to think about and feel in our hearts. You know, this is not a concept and it's not impersonal. And I think that's what we're seeing. It's like a, a kind of like an awakening right? The Kundalini, we call it, right? Like that's what we're seeing that we're seeing the awakening. So um, I think it's going to depend on all of us. I think it's going to depend on a lot more of us joining forces so that it's not the same people over and over talking about this, right? Like, cause it's exhausting to hold that space all the time. Like the more people we have talking about this, the better it is. And the more we can uplift each other and you know, when one falls, you're just like, nope, I'm here for you. Let's get back up, right? Let's feel it and let's get back up. Um, so I think a lot will depend on what we choose to do with all this energy when we get back to post-COVID life. Mm -hmm. It's As you were saying that, I was thinking, yeah, it's really interesting that we have this time to pause, but that also separates us from every human. <laughs> because we're yeah. not interacting. It's really interesting um, time. But there is, there is like this weird, this, so I think exactly what you're saying probably is speeding it, right? Like this loneliness, this, this, uh, I don't know, like this craving for humanity for, right? Like, gosh, I just want to hug people after this, right? Like, I want to have dinner parties and just hug people, right? And there is something to be said. Again, maybe it's that tribal sense, right? We need people. We're humans. And uh, I maybe, maybe it's a way of people finally connecting to all humans, right? Because if we were just happy in our bubbles with our like-minded individuals and chose who we can interact with versus not, mm. it, maybe it would be business as usual. I don't know because we could turn that off but right now netflix and cnn and all these things are all we got right mm -hmm. so maybe it's hard to turn that off and and i think that's important um so that it doesn't just become background noise that it's relevant and like we can feel it out i'm feeling like the 
what you just said made me think of like when you go out into the world and it's not COVID time, you are naturally interacting with so many more people than you would actually choose to, which is, which I don't think we've ever, like, I don't think I've ever actually thought about mm. until this moment. And now, now that we haven't been doing it for such a long time, and we're going to be doing it again, hopefully in the future at some point, we might have more of an appreciation of encountering people that, mm. we, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't choose to, I'm using air quotes. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's how I, I think it's, it's how we've made the decision to live in a tiny one bedroom in, in the city with two kids. Um, yeah, because there is an organic, like in New York City, especially there's an organic intermingling yeah. where I've always felt like if I was in the suburbs or somewhere, it's not organic. It's like, you don't have to come in contact with people. Mm -hmm. Right. So there, there is like, uh, for me and my partner, my, like, I think the urban, there's a sense of like craving for that. Like, I love that. I love everybody being in it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I hope we have an appreciation for it. I really do. Thank you so much for, for chatting with me. I know you have to go. Is there something that you want to say before you leave or, um, especially tell us how we can find out more about you and the work that you're doing? Um, yeah, I have one. <laughs> I might talk. I don't know. Happy to, happy to hold the space for conversations. I think that, um, I would just say, like, take a moment to be vulnerable. Um, take a moment to just sit and pause and feel the goosebumps that you feel with all of this activity and commit it to your heart and your memory so that we don't lose this and that we feel empowered to lift each other up and connect with our humanity and the light within us rather than letting our fears and insecurities alienate us from that. This, this, is, this is the test of elevation. If we believe about being better versions of ourselves and, and being yogis and meditating, all of that stuff, like this is it because it's about connecting with each other and letting our humanity shine through. Awesome. And how can we connect with you? Or if, if people have more questions or they want to see your TED talk, I'll post the link in the um, description box for sure. But you have a website. Yeah, or... I can. I'm happy to wear Facebook or uh, now I have Instagram, which is awesome. cool. Okay. Um, so you can yeah, follow or her Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Or Twitter. Twitter is good too. Um, yeah. Happy to, happy to continue. Thank you so much for having cool. me and yeah, I'm so chatting glad you about were this. Able to do this. Yeah. It was nice catching up with you. You too. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Have a great day. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye.